Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to New York. This is is the Devil's Devil's State of Mind Mind Podcast, Podcast. brought to you by the Hockey Hockey Podcast Podcast Network. Network. Now here's your host, host, Neil Villapiano! What is going on, Devils fans? It is once again your host, Neil Villapiano, and welcome to another edition of of the Devil's State of Mind podcast right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, the best place to get everything you need to know about your new Jersey Devils. I hope you guys are having, as always, a fantastic day wherever you're listening to these podcast episodes. Thank you, as always. Really, thank you, guys, as always, for taking some time out of your day to check these episodes out. Um, you know, recently I've been able to talk to a bunch of people on social media who are supporters of the podcast, and they've all said, you know, really great things about it and how much they really enjoy what I, you know, have to offer and the content that I give you guys. So really from the bottom of my heart, I just want to say thank you guys so much for all of your love and support. It really does mean a lot to me. Very, very much appreciate it. And I know, on social media on Sunday, you know, I, I, I came out and I said, you know, look, I had to, you know, I was a little bit inactive on social media and sometimes it can be tough because, you know, I'm basically handling everything. I record, I edit, I do the social media, you know, I try to do the best that I can. Um, but at the end of the day, I also do try to take time for myself to do other things um, so that I don't completely burn out because I'm really trying to do that and better myself this year when it comes to that. But several of you, several of you guys reached out and, uh, you know, we're very supportive of all that. So even with that, thank you guys so much for all that. Really do appreciate it. This episode and all the episodes that we do here on, on Devil State of Mind podcast are sponsored by the awesome people at DraftKings Sportsbook. Make sure when you sign up for DraftKings to use our promo code THPN. 
we have a lot to discuss. I mean, you know, we usually have a lot to discuss on the Devil's Day Month podcast, but today in particular, we have a lot to discuss. We, we, we certainly do. We have obviously two games, you know, back to back this past weekend. Um, a lot of emotions, a lot of emotions, uh, good and bad uh, when it came to it, especially coming off of Thursday's, uh, excuse me, Wednesday's debacle against the Arizona Coyotes. Um, but there was also an incident that involved a brother of one of the players on the New Jersey Devils. And I think at this point, you all probably know who I'm talking about. Um, but that's also something that I wanted to discuss as well. We also do have some injury updates that I wanted to uh, quickly discuss with you. But uh, as you can see, as always, we have a bunch to talk about here in the Devil's State of Mind podcast. So let's not waste any more time and get rolling. Now, before I jump into all this, I just want to quickly also send a congratulations to the Utica Comets head coach, Kevin Deneen, who on, I believe it was Saturday when the Utica Comets won, he got his 400th career professional win as a head coach, which is an absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal accomplishment. And he continues to do so well with the young kids down in Utica. The Comets continuing to roll. They're getting back healthy with Schmidt and also Nico Dawes back into the fold. Guys like Alexander Holtz, Fabian Zetterlin are really, really playing well. And it's just great to see. And it's awesome that Deneen got a chance to get his 400 win at home again, you know, in Utica, which is obviously very, very special. And uh, it's just great to see. So I wanted to say that up front, that congratulations to the Devils minor league head coach, the head coach of the Utica Commons, Kevin Deneen, for reaching 400 career professional wins as a head hockey coach. So now I want to jump into, I would say the majority of this episode, by the way, is going to be just me recapping the two games between Carolina and the Los Angeles Kings. And we're going to start with Saturday's game against the Carolina Hurricanes. Now, I will say this with 100% honesty. I did not think the Devils were going to win this game. I, I also didn't really, there wasn't a whole lot of motivation to watch this game. I'm being as honest as I can be. I, I just, after what had happened on Wednesday and feeling like the Devils just look, looked completely lost and disinterested and things like that, it was just very difficult. And then you're going into it. You're going up against the Carolina team that is rocking and rolling. One of the top three teams in the national hockey league. They just beat down on the New York Rangers the night before. I mean, there was so much going against the devils that it just didn't feel it. It felt very difficult for me to want to sit there and watch this game. And unfortunately for the devils, um, they got news earlier in the day that didn't help their cause because we got word the day before, so on Friday, that Ty Smith was placed on injured reserve with an upper body injury retroactive to the 19th of January, which was when we played the Arizona Coyotes. Um, Lindy Ruff then said after practice on Friday that he quote-unquote tweaked something, which was really funny because when you saw the Devils um, – they, you know, made a post about it on social media and they actually used the words tweak something. It was just funny because we've never seen somebody be described as, oh, they tweaked something, so to speak. Um, but we obviously don't know what he tweaked specifically. Um, but as far as we're concerned, he's going to be out the next couple of games. He didn't play on Saturday. He didn't play on Sunday either. 
We'll see, you know, with a couple games against Dallas and Tampa um, and then Carolina as well this week, we'll see if he gets back into the lineup at any point um, this week. But also, and this may sound um, a little bit harsh, but in a way, this might be a good thing for Ty Smith only because he really has struggled this year for the most part. I don't know if it's just the sophomore jinx or whatever you want to say, but this is not the same Ty Smith that we saw last year that was showing so much potential, a guy that at times was really, really making noise when it came to you know being a candidate for rookie of the year and things like that. And you're, you're kind of wondering to yourself, what is exactly his issue? And I think, I mean, let's face it. I still think that a lot of it has to do with Lindy Ruff and this coaching staff. I do feel that um, they're not, they're not giving Ty Smith the opportunities to really, really get things going. It's difficult also when you're seeing him constantly on the third line pairing, when we expected him to be a top four pairing defenseman for the future, not to say that he still won't be that, but at the same time, it's, it's not really looking good. So for me, I I think it might be a good thing for Ty Smith to sit out a couple games, maybe watch, you know, reevaluate and kind of go from there and see what he can improve on so that when he gets back on the ice and starts playing, he can start playing um, more towards the level that he was playing at last year because he's still incredibly young playing in just his second full. Well, I mean, this year would be technically his first full season because it's 82 games. But this is, you know, his second year in the National Hockey League. So we do have to give him some time to, to grow as a player. I know some people were even saying he should go down to Utica. I think Ty Smith has played too much in the NHL to do that. Um, you know, it's not like a Cole Caulfield situation where Caulfield came in, played the last couple of games of the regular season, played the whole playoffs. Um, and then eventually he got sent down. I mean, Ty Smith played basically a full season and is in his second full season in the NHL. Um, I just, unless you want to have him go down for a conditioning stint, which is always possible, I don't think sending him down to Utica is going to help him regain the confidence and regain the level of play that he was at last year. So that's just kind of the way that I look at it. Um, the Devils also said that Cole White was called up in the taxi squad. He was put on waivers um, prior to the game against Arizona. He cleared waivers, was got, got put on taxi squad, and now he's once again um, with the team, you know, as a um, as one of the six defense, six seven defensemen that we have. The other news that we got was actually somewhat positive was we actually got an update on Dougie Hamilton because I know a lot of people were wondering, were we ever going to get any news on Dougie Hamilton? Was this going to be one of those many cases where we just really don't get much information at all and we just have to sit around every day and wait till something happens? Well, we got word and Lindy Ruff said prior to the game, prior to Saturday's game, that Dougie Hamilton had resumed skating and on ice work as he continues to heal from the broken jaw injury. They still don't have a time frame for his return and they're going to evaluate him week to week. So, you know, obviously that's not a whole lot, but the good news is that he is on the ice and doing on ice activity. You know, it's not like he's completely off the ice and everything like that. So it is good. And that kind of gives you a little bit of hope that he's closer than maybe we thought before to him to return. 
I always felt that even though he broke his jaw, that at some point he would be able to return to the team and be able to play. Um, because if you remember, Nico Hishir broke his jaw, broke his nose, and he wore a cage uh, for basically the rest of last season. Um, so I think that there's a very good chance that Dougie Hamilton comes back unless, you know, it's the, the injury is not healing the way it's supposed to and he's getting setbacks and things like that. But again, the Devils said they're evaluating him week to week. So we'll see what happens over the next couple of, I, I would say you're going to have to expect that he's probably going to be out another couple of weeks um, minimum. And I say minimum because you never know with these type of things. And knowing us when it comes to injuries, we think that they're short term, but then they end up being a lot longer than we originally thought. So that's kind of the unfortunate thing. But those were the two major updates that we got prior to the game. Uh, prior to you know playing against the Carolina Hurricanes, the Hurricanes, like I mentioned before, were coming in on a roll after beating up, and I mean beating up the New York Rangers the night before uh, by the score of six to three. What was interesting that we found out was that the uh, Hurricanes did not leave Carolina until the morning of the game, so Saturday morning, because there was a snowstorm uh, in Raleigh and uh, they couldn't get out. I think the airport might have been closed by the time that they were going to leave, um, so the team had to fly out. Um, in the morning. We also did get word about, I want to say four or five hours before the game, that the Hurricanes were going to go with rookie goaltender Jack LaFontaine, um, who would be making his NHL uh, debut, well, making his first career start. He did play in one game prior from what I saw, um, but uh, this would be his first NHL start, even with Antti Diranta, their backup goaltender, um, healthy. And I remember seeing some Hurricanes fans wondering, well, why exactly do we have to why are we playing Jack LaFontaine when we got Ronta? Wouldn't it make more sense to play Ronta in this moment? But that's neither here nor there. I believe Ronta ended up being the backup to LaFontaine uh, in this game. But regardless, that was kind of that was kind of decision I made. So again, that was kind of another one of those feelings of knowing how the Devils do things, that they were going to make LaFontaine look like a really, really good goaltender in his first game. That was kind of my feeling going into it. But that was um that was probably the biggest news that we found out about uh, Carolina. We knew that uh, Tara Vinen had gotten hurt uh, against the Rangers and he was a game time decision. I think he ended up not playing anyway. Um, so maybe that was more of a blessing in disguise, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, the other cool thing, because there was actually two really cool things. And I know there's a lot that I had to get to before we even get to talking about the game itself. Um, what was really cool that I found out uh, the morning of the game on Saturday was that Saturday marked the 35th anniversary of the 334 club game. So let me give you some background information on what I mean by that, because I know most of you guys probably know what I'm talking about. But if you don't, I'll give you a little bit of background story. So. Uh, the, the game between the Calgary Flames and the New Jersey Devils on January 22nd, 1987, was expected to be a historic affair. But close to two feet of snow descending on the tri-state area turned it into one of the most unusual evenings in the history of the National Hockey League. The Devils expected 11,000 fans to attend this game, the number of tickets sold for the game, but with horrible weather causing severe traffic congestion, only 334 fans made it to the arena. The Devils ended up beating the Calgary Flames 7-5 after the game eventually was played after a delay of several hours. And the biggest delay was simply that there were players on the Devils that were struggling as well to just get to the game. You know, 
you know, leaving their cars. I think one double player ended up leaving their car on the garden in the middle of the Garden State Parkway on the side, maybe, um, and walked the rest of the way to get to the Brendan Burn Brendan Burn Arena. Um, a special bond was forged between the fans and players who were who were there that night, and they became part of the 334 Club. And what I remember from watching videos and things like that and things that the Devils have done talking about the 334 Club was that a couple of people came around to all the fans, asked them to put their name down and everything like that and, you know, all that stuff. And a lot of them, and all of them actually ended up getting like a... Um, like an ID card. Well, it didn't really have their name. They didn't really have their name or anything, but it had like an official card being the 334 club. They got a shirt. Uh, they were part of a club. And uh, I know a lot of them still hang out together and they go to games and things like that. So it's a very, very cool thing. Uh, definitely one of the craziest nights you'll ever hear about uh, in the history of the National Hockey League. It's kind of cool that it involves the Devils. And it was interesting that uh, that day on Saturday marked the 35th anniversary of that one it would have been nice and i don't know if um i don't know if the devils knew that ahead of time but it would have been nice if we had played the calgary flames that night because i think it would have made a lot of sense considering the situation but it is what it is um the other big thing which again kind of revolves around the title of this episode is the fact that the devils had their annual pride night at the rock and i would say honestly this was probably the best job done by the Devils when it comes to Pride Night. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Pride Night is the night um, for NHL teams to raise awareness and funding to support the LGBTQ organizations. And for the Devils also, Garden State Equality and You Can Play. Um, and so basically, to, to, to put it you know, as simple as I can for people to understand, there's a lot of people that are a part of the LGBTQ community and you know they have unfortunately been discriminated they have been insulted abused and for a lack of a better term not accepted by many people in society and what's good though is that things have progressed and people have been more and more accepting and we've been able to spread more awareness about it and nights like this are are the whole point of it all and to also make it clear that everybody is equal and that's also, you know, when it comes to the whole You Can Play Foundation, it's about doesn't matter if you're a boy, girl, if, you know, sex, color, color of your skin, doesn't matter. If you can play, you can play. And Garden State Equality helps out as well. They do a tremendous job. Um, Gay Pride Newark uh, is another organization in Newark based off of that as well. It's a really, really great night. And there's a lot of people that come um, that are part of that community. And, you know, along with obviously Devils fans, and they are Devils fans as well. It's just a great night overall. And one of the coolest things every year is that teams have their pride jerseys. And, you know, it's always interesting to know how they're going to come out. What do they look like? And the Devils wore special warm-up jerseys for this game. And they are currently auctioning them off their war, uh, the warm-up autographed pride jerseys. And uh, they were actually designed in collaboration with Olympic gold medalist and also the Devils manager of player development, Megan Duggan. Um, which is absolutely phenomenal. These one-of-a-kind jerseys will be up for auction through January 29th. So you have basically a little less than a week to auction 
um, to auction for them. And they were just great. They were white. The, the logo that was designed where he had, you know, you can, if you can play, you can play, you know, on, you know, inside the devil's logo. And also you had the LGBTQ uh, flag on the shoulders with the, with the uh, state of New Jersey crest on there as well. It was absolutely phenomenal. And I really wish that those type of jerseys would be allowed to be worn during the game. Um, I don't know if there's any sort of petition for that, but I really think so. And that's also with theme nights as well. I mean, the, the Devils also had Hispanic Heritage Night on Wednesday when they played the Arizona Coyotes, and people loved the Hispanic Heritage jerseys. And I think it would be great to see those type of jerseys actually be allowed to be worn um, in the game. I think it would be very, very cool. I don't know why exactly they're not, but it is what it is. But again, this was going to be a special night regardless of the regardless of the outcome of the game the special night it was a special night and uh i'm so glad that the devils are so involved uh working with the lgbtq community continuing to you know uh, raise awareness and support and i absolutely love it i'm 100 for it as well i have friends that are part of the lgbtq community and i support them 100 no matter you know what they identify as i support them because at the end of the day we are all human beings trying to live the best life that we possibly can with the life that we've been given so it's really great that the devils did that and i give them 100 uh 100 credit no doubt about that but now let's shift to the game as we've spent uh, a solid 20 minutes kind of like previewing the game, which is kind of funny. But the Hurricanes came out flying and just 544 into this game, uh, Andrei Shvechnikov, his 14th of the year, and Ian Cole, his second of the year, gave the Canes a 2-0 lead. The Shvechnikov goal was weird. They were on the left side. He kind of just threw it at the net and kind of popped up in the air and it beat Gillies. And it was just a weird goal. And you look at it, you know, six minutes in, it's two nothing hurricanes. I mean, was I the only one that that thought at that moment, okay, so the devils are going to get completely destroyed at home? I mean, is this really what's going to happen? But the devils just seemed to snap out of it right after they went down two nothing, and they were able to get things rolling really well late in the period when Nate Bastion scored not one. But two goals in a row, getting his seventh and eighth of the year. One of them was a deflection, was a great goal. The first one he scored, he whacked it out of the air like it was baseball, and he scored. The second one was just a great deflection. It was really, really good. He's, he's done a really good job of standing in front of the net and creating traffic. But he scores both goals to tie the game up at two, and that's where we stood after the first period. And it's really crazy how Nate Bastion is two goals away from getting double digits. Uh, and I think I saw a statistic from uh, Sunday's game that Nate Bastion, since like November, like late November, has the second most goals scored on the team behind Jack Hughes. So that kind of tells you all you need to know about how well Nate Bastion has actually been playing, especially when it comes to putting the puck in the back of the net. But a crazy four-goal first period, and as a result, we got to two to two. But then in the second period, the, the Hurricanes were able to regain the lead on a partial breakaway goal by Josh Lebo, which was his first of the year. Kind of got a step on Yarosh. Um, and as he was getting kind of knocked from behind a little bit, he kind of flicked the puck over the glove of John Gillies into the net and uh, was able to get the Hurricanes uh, the three to two lead. But the Devils would fight back again. And Michael McLeod, so the besties, Nate Bastion, and Michael McLeod. McLeod scoring. Um, he would tie it up on a rebound. The puck just came right to him. He was able to whack it. I mean, it was kind of a, again, it was kind of a, a lucky bounce goal, but 
you know, you're going to take him any way you can. Uh, but he gets the goal, his third of the year, and he ties the game up at three. But the Devils were not done there. They were not done there. It's less than three minutes later. Andreas Johnson is coming down the left side. He's wide open. Gets a great pass from Dawson Mercer. Gets Johnson, gets Johnson the puck on his stick. Waits a second. Goes top shelf over the stick, the um, the blocker side of LaFontaine into the net. And the Devils grab their first lead tonight, making it four to three. Um, Andreas Johnson becoming the second devil player to get to 10 goals. That was his 10th of the year. But more importantly, his goal drought finally ends at 17 games. He had not scored a goal since late November. That is how long it had been since Andreas Johnson had scored a goal. Um, and you could see the reaction by him that he was just so happy and elated to finally get on the score sheet. And it was a big time goal. It was a big time goal for him. Gave him some confidence. Um, but Unfortunately, would not last very long. It's Brady Shea, which uh, the former New York Ranger, getting his sixth of the year, would score glove side on a three-on-two a few minutes later to tie the game up at four. Was it a soft goal? It's kind of tough to say, but nonetheless, uh, the Hurricanes tied it up at four. So, I mean, we're we're already having a crazy second period. Um but with 1.41 to go and the puck kind of just fluttering to him, kind of bouncing, Jesper Bratt kind of waxing almost like a one-timer that was able to beat LaFontaine into the back of the net and the Devils regained the lead at 5-4. to four. Jesper Bratt continuing to have arguably his best season of his career, getting his 11th goal of the season. And that's where things stood after two periods of play as it's now 5-4 to four Devils. So you kind of wonder to yourself, was there going to be any point in this game where things were kind of where things were going to kind of settle out, you know, where teams are going to kind of play better defensively and we were going to get as many weird goals. And definitely in the third period, the first handful of minutes, both teams kind of locked it down. And I felt like, OK, this is probably going to be a situation where the Devils, if they're going to win, they're going to have to either play for overtime. You know, they may end up giving a goal and then going to overtime or they're just going to have to really lock it down and find a way to get uh, at least an empty net goal and try to win this game uh, six to four or five to four. Um, but then you go to, you know, more than halfway through the, the third period, the devils would add on to their lead on a power play goal, power play goal, by the way, um, at the 1251 mark by Jack Hughes, getting his 10th of the year. He went top shelf. It was a great goal. He went far side top shelf, great screen in front by Nate Bastion. Really good job there. Jack Hughes was able to score and the devils grabbed now the six to four lead. So now with Jack Hughes scoring, the Devils have Jesper Bratt, Andreas Johnson, who had scored early in the game, and Jack Hughes as three different players on our team that have finally gotten the double-digit goals, which is absolutely massive. And the Devils kept it up in just 64 seconds. So a minute four later, Pavel Zaka knocks in a goal on a rebound after Dawson Mercer had beaten LaFontaine, but it hit the post, came right out in front. Zaka came in and just whacked it in almost like a one-timer on a rebound and scored. And the Devils were able to make it seven to four and Pavel Zaka getting his 10th goal of the year. So the Devils came into this game with one player, Jesper Bratt, who had gotten two double-digit goals. And by the time the game ended, they went from one player to four players with Johnson uh, Jack Hughes and Pavel Zaka each getting to double-digit goals. And the Devils would lock it down from there, and they would get an upset victory at home 
to end a three-game losing streak, beating the Carolina Hurricanes by the score of seven to four. And what's really funny is that the two times we have scored seven goals this year were against a team that currently was tops in the NHL. When we played the Florida Panthers back in early November, we were on ESPN and everything like the ESPN Plus, we ended up beating them, scoring seven goals. Then we play Carolina, again, thinking that we're probably going to get killed, but we end up scoring seven freaking goals and getting ourselves a three-goal victory. Um, so that was a, it was pretty remarkable, pretty remarkable. John Gillies, who was in net, he got his first win as a devil and his first win in the NHL since 2018. I believe he was still with Calgary at the time. I know it was against the Vegas Golden Knights, and I believe he was with Calgary at that time. Six players on the Devils recorded multi-point multi nights for the Devils, and also 13 players had at least one point. So the Devils were really, really rocking offensively. One of their better offensive nights overall. I mean, you think about it, you scored two in the you scored two in the first, you added three more in the in the second period, and then you added two more after that in the third. It was just a completely great game offensively. And with the win, the Devils moved to 15, 19, and 5, good for 35 points. And the Hurricanes dropped to 27, 9, and 2. So that was just the ninth regulation loss by Carolina this season. They are still at 56 points. And what was funny was that the Devils were going into the game in last place in the Metropolitan Division because with, you know, the Islanders getting going a little bit and everything like that, it was fine. Columbus winning a little bit. The, I think the Flyers have lost 11 in a row and they've had more than, they've now had two 10 game losing streaks since the season started. Crazy, absolutely crazy. Um, but the Devils went into the game in eighth place and they ended the night in sixth place, which again, you see the bottom, the bottom four of the Metropolitan Division is a tight race. Uh, but then the rest of it after that is just absolutely ridiculous. But big win for the Devils. Definitely did not expect it. I don't think anybody did. Um, but and at the end of the day, a win is a win. And regardless of how the team has played this year, regardless of everything like that, at the end of the day, just put it simply as a fan, you just want to see your team win. And especially when you're facing up against a good team. And that's one of those wins where you feel like that this team, you know, is capable of competing with the best of the best in the NHL. And if you look at it moving forward, not counting Sunday's game, two of your next three games are against two of the top teams in the NHL. You're playing Tampa in Tampa again. And then you're going to Carolina to take on the Hurricanes. So you know that you've got tough matchups moving forward, but at least winning a game like this against a good hockey team as Carolina has been this year gives you confidence that you can, uh, you can beat those teams. Four teams remain in the NFL playoffs, and that means only four teams left for you to bet on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. Not a new customer? You can experience the conference championships with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. 
That's promo code THPN for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So now we'll shift things over to the very next night, Sunday night, at home against the LA Kings, the third of the four-game homestand for the Devils. They'll wrap that up on Tuesday against the Dallas Stars. By the way, that game will be on ESPN Plus only, unless you're at the game, obviously. Uh, but just want to give you that information. Devils looking for back-to-back wins. Kings coming in, one of the more surprising teams, especially in that Pacific Division, coming in third place in the Pacific Division. Um, so obviously the Devils were going up against another really good team, looking for some revenge after losing uh, to LA back in early November. Um, they lost in overtime after they had tied the game up with just seconds to go in it. Um, so obviously they were looking to try to get some revenge and try to salvage some points uh, in the season series against LA. Um, but before the game, about an hour and a half beforehand, uh, we got some word on Mackenzie Blackwood, who was projected to start this game. We knew that most likely Lindy Rupp was going to want to, um, you know, go with both goaltenders for this weekend. I actually thought that Blackwood was going to go on Saturday and Gillies was going to go on Sunday, uh, but they actually wanted to do it the other way. Gillies playing on Saturday, on a Saturday and then Blackwood going on Sunday. But an hour and a half before the game, we got word that Gillies was actually going to end up getting the start in net, uh, not Blackwood. And Lindy Ruff said that, quote, Blackwood has been working on stuff and just isn't quite ready, but he'll be there to back up for us. Um, also, Lindy Ruff, regarding Blackwood, who is listed as day-to-day, he says, quote, you know that we've had a lot of maintenance with him where he hasn't skated or his practice time has been cut. It's something we've been dealing with for a long period, end quote. So this just kind of goes back to all the way back to the off season in which we knew that Blackwood got surgery on his heel. We knew that he was dealing with that last year and it took him a little bit of time to get himself ramped up for this season. And quite frankly, I think he has not, he's just never been able to fully recover from the heel injury. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that he's had a very, very heavy workload because let's face it, we've had six different goaltenders, including Blackwood, play at least one game this year. The Devils, whether we want to admit it or not, are not feeling 100% comfortable with John Gillies as the backup goaltender. We don't have a 100% reliable goaltender right now because the guy we we signed, uh, Jonathan Bernier, is out for the year with a hip injury. Um, and so once again, this is, this is just another year in which our number one goaltender has just quite frankly been unfortunately overworked and overplayed. And so uh, he may have re-aggravated the injury and the trainers seem to be a little bit concerned about it. They're not thrilled that things are not going the way that they would like. And so even though Blackwood did end up being the backup in this one, luckily he didn't have to come in and play. Um, We really don't know what his situation is. And it'll be interesting to see with a day off uh, on Monday and then playing on Tuesday, what ends up being the case. Um, But I think it also kind of just gives us a moment to realize that, you know, yes, Blackwood has had some pretty bad games and I don't want to, I don't want to say that he hasn't because he, and I've said it before. I mean, I said in the last episode, I really have been frustrated with the way he's played. He's 
for the most part in his career, he's been very, very inconsistent, partially due to the fact of his own play and partially because of the team he's playing in front of him. I mean, you could ask Corey Schneider the same the same questions and you could see the same things when Corey was here. I mean, it's 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 the it's the same deal. It's really is. But also you could see that Blackwood's not 100% right. He's dealing with stuff. They said he's been dealing with pain. Um, and it kind of brings up the question of this. Do you risk continuing to allow Blackwood to play, even though the heel injury is not recovering well? Or do you make the very hard decision to maybe possibly considering shutting down Blackwood for a period of time, whether that be for a couple of weeks, a month, hell, even the rest of the season? I know that sounds ridiculous because the Devils are not eliminated from the playoffs at all. Um, but you do have to look at also the long, long-term long picture and realize that, you know, Blackwood is still considered to be the top goaltender, you know, in our franchise goaltender. And you don't want to put him out there to where he can make the injury worse than what it, what it already is. So it's a really tough situation, but it's one that's very frustrating because it's not something that the Devils could have fully avoided because how could they have expected where they've had to play six different goaltenders since the season started and the guy that we were supposed to have as our solid 1B goaltender is hurt. Um, so second year in a row that we're de- we don't have a solid number two goaltender behind Blackwood. And it's just unfortunate. And uh, hopefully this is not something terribly serious, but it is something to keep note and to watch for uh, with the the more games that Blackwood plays, and you kind of are able to evaluate from there. But that was really the big thing going into this game. But uh, let, let's let's talk about the game itself. Uh, the Devils get things rolling right away as Jesper Bratt, who continues to stay hot, gets his twelfth of the year after a beautiful three quarters of the ice long pass from Damon Severson to Brett gets a partial breakaway, goes from his backhand to his forehand, catches Peterson down on all fours, scores and gives the devils a one nothing lead. It was a silky smooth goal, just two and a half minutes into the game. And you got to be feeling good right, right then and there. You're saying great start. We're looking confident like we did last night scoring. That's our eighth goal in two games, just for Brett goals and back to back games. You know, we're off and running. It's just three, but just three minutes later, unfortunately, uh, Jack Hughes tried to make a pass over to Severson. I think Severson came into the zone a little bit too aggressive, lost his footing. The, the puck um, was behind him. Alex Ayafalo uh, for the Kings came down on a two-on-one, held it, then went top shelf off the post and in on the far side, so the blocker side of Gillies into the net to tie the game up. At one, I have followed getting his 12th of the year and tying the game up at a goal apiece. Um, but then Jesper Bratt, Jesper Bratt um, just took massive exception to Jack Hughes getting rocked. And the LA Kings were super physical throughout the game, banging bodies, hitting a lot of our main guys. And Jesper Bratt finally just had enough of it when he saw Jack Hughes get hit. And it was a clean hit. Um, but he dropped the gloves with Carl Grunderson, uh, Grunstrom, excuse me, Grunstrom. I believe they're both Swedish, by the way. And they actually got into a little bit of a little bit of fisticuffs. They didn't count it as a fight for some reason. They just gave Jesper Bratt uh, a double minor, um, which was really stupid. I feel like it should have been a fight considering. Um, but we kind of looked at it like, wow, he's got a goal, a fight. He just needs an assistant. He's got a Courtney Howe hat trick but uh they ended up only giving him a penalty on that which is kind of kind of ridiculous but it is what it is but 
We we move things to with 2.26 to go in the period, and the Devils on the power play again. Jack Hughes makes a beautiful feed. Like he he basically got the puck on the left side and looked like he was going to shoot the puck like he did against Carolina, where he scored. Looked like the exact same play. But he ends up faking the shot, passing it over to Jesper Bratt, who whacks it in on a one-time. There was an open net catching the goaltender, Peterson, out of position. Jesper Bratt scores, getting his second of the game, second of the period, and his 13th of the year. And the Devils were able to regain the lead, this time making it 2-1. to one. And that's where things stood after the first period, 2-1 to one Devils. Also, just want to let everyone know that uh, with that power play goal, the Devils have scored a power play goal in four consecutive games. So that's something pretty interesting if you ask me, that the Devils have been able to really get their power play going a lot more. And I said it on social media. I'm like, I, I'm actually starting to like Mark Recchi more and a lot of Devils fans as well, considering how much better the power play has been, especially since the, the turn of the, uh, the, the turn of the new year from 21 to 22. I mean, the penalty kill has been really, really solid as well. So special teams in general has been a lot better since 2022 uh, got here and the Devils getting themselves a power play goal up two to one after the first period. Then you go into the second period and with 401 to go in that period, because I would say for the most part, it was a pretty, I wouldn't say it was a pretty even period because I think the Devils ended up getting outshot like 14 to five in the second period. It, it just didn't seem like either team was doing a whole lot. It felt like things kind of settled down a little bit more. Um, but with 401 to go in the period, the Devils got caught on the line change. Victor Arvidsson gets the puck on the right side, going down the right side. He's able to get a step um, and get a partial breakaway. He goes top shelf over the glove of John Gillies to tie the game up at two. Arvidsson getting his 10th goal of the year. So at another um, double-digit goal score for the LA Kings. And the game is tied up at two. And that's where things ended after two periods with the game tied at two. So you go into the third period and you're saying to yourself, okay, you know, this has been a pretty solid hockey game. I felt pretty confident that the Devils were going to find a way to win this game. They, they didn't look like that they were really, really playing all that poorly. I just think, though, unfortunately, they made two bad mistakes. They, made, they turned over the puck a lot. That was definitely a big concern. And because of that, it resulted in both of the goals that the Kings scored um, up until you got to the third period. And that was really what was very frustrating about it. And then you go to the third, and usually the third is, is a period that the Devils have a lot of success in. It was a really bad third period, honestly. It, it was really, the, the Devils didn't come out with a lot of sense of urgency. It felt like at times that the Kings were just doing whatever they wanted. They were controlling the puck. They were buzzing around the net. John Gillies was doing everything possible to keep the Devils game, to keep the Devils in it, to keep the game tied. Um, but eventually, Dustin Brown, as he was getting hit in the corner, made a great pass to Carl Grundstrom, the same guy who fought just for Brad back in the first. He kind of just turned around and fired it just under the right arm of John Gillies into the net. And the Kings were able to regain the lead at three to two with 8.55 to go. Grundstrom getting his sixth of the year. The Devils really honestly didn't do a whole lot. They started to pick up the intensity with about five minutes to go. They pulled the goaltender. They pulled Gillies with about 90 seconds to go. And then we got to about 12 seconds to go in the game. And the Devils were moving the puck. They got the center ice and the whistle was blown for too many men on the ice, which was ridiculous. 
And then we saw there was almost 12 guys on the ice at once, which is absurd, is absolutely absurd. And I remember tweeting saying, that's uh, Lindy Ruff coaching at its finest. That, And you could see how upset Lindy Ruff was at that moment because that basically ended the game right there. Um, it just it prevented the Devils from doing anything. The Kings got a, a power play out of it. The Devils, they took one shot shorthanded because they were able to win the face up in their own zone, fire it down. Peterson made an easy save, and that was pretty much the game as the Devils dropped a frustrating loss at home by the score of 3-2 to two to the LA Kings. So they're 1-2. and two. One, two, and oh on this homestand. So they'll look to try to salvage it on Tuesday when they play the Dallas Stars. With the loss, the Devils are now 15, 20, and five, still at 35 points. And with the win, the Kings actually moved to exactly 500 with a record of 21, 16, and five, good for 46 points and uh, a, a little bit more good of a grip on the third spot in the Pacific Division. But one positive that I will leave you with when it comes to this game is Jesper Bratt. That was his third career multi-goal game. Also, those two goals were his 35th and 36th points of the season, which is now a new career high. So the highest he ever got was 35, which I believe was back in his rookie year. He got 34 points last year. And so with the two goals in this one, he was able to get to 36. So this is already, and it's not a surprise because we already knew this, but he's already having his best year of his career. And he's really showcasing himself as a really good top six winger. And it's great to see. And uh, if he keeps playing like this, I definitely expect him to get to 20, maybe even 25 goals. Um, do I think he gets to 30? Probably not. But I, I mean, hell, that would be pretty awesome. I mean, he'd really have to get a couple of more multi-goal games uh, soon to get to that point. But if he could just get to 20, 25, I think that would be absolutely phenomenal. But uh, but yeah, no, this was just a, it was a frustrating loss. The Devils should have won this game. They didn't come out like they should have in the third period. A lot of turnovers. You know, the delay of game penalty at the end was just really ridiculous. Um, and it sucks because it takes a lot of the energy and, and happiness and everything like that from last night, winning seven to four against Carolina to then, you know, having a dud for the most part, um, against LA the very next night, because Jesper Bratt was really the only offense. John Gillies did a pretty solid job. It's not the reason we lost this game, did everything he could. Um, but he did not, uh, he wasn't able to do enough to help us get the win. So We'll see what happens. The Devils have a day off on Monday. Then they play on Tuesday. Uh, and then Thursday, they go to, they, they're, they're at home against uh, Dallas on Tuesday. Then they're at home. Then they're on the road in Tampa on Thursday. And then I believe Saturday, they're in Carolina. So they got three uh, pretty good teams moving forward. And we'll see if the Devils can, uh, can steal some points and get some more upsets uh, moving forward. So the last thing I wanted to talk about, and I hate this because recently I've been ending some of these episodes on a low note, but this is again, something that I really feel that needs to be talked about. And I'm not going to be ignorant and keep this just as, you know, just focused on hockey. I mean, you saw what I talked about when I talked about the Blackhawks scandal. Um, when we talked about Reed Boucher last week, um, you know, I, when, when these things happen, I, I need to discuss them. Um, this story, unfortunately, involves P.K. Subban's younger brother, Jordan Subban. Um, so let me just kind of set the stage for you and give you the full story. Most of you probably know the story by now, but I'm going to give you guys the full 
story anyway. So the Jacksonville Icemen uh, took on the South Carolina Stingrays two days ago. Uh, they're both in the ECHL, which is um, the league that the Adirondack, Adirondack Thunder um, are in. So think of it as like almost like double A in base, you know, baseball is like double A, triple A, and then the big leagues. The ECHL is the league that's below the American Hockey League. Um, so that's just what I want, want to try to better explain it for you guys. Um, in an overtime period, Jacksonville Iceman defenseman Jacob Panetta allegedly, allegedly targeted South Carolina Stingrays Jordan Subban, P.K. Subban's younger brother, who is black, um, apparently making some form of a, you know, monkey stance uh, when they were talking, when they were, you know, pushing and shoving and things like that. It was caught on camera. I did see some video of it, um, and I did hear a lot about what was said, and it was uh, was not good. Uh, the, EC, the ECHL said the indefinite suspension is pending a hearing under its collective bargaining agreement with its players. Um, I also did hear that earlier today on Sunday that the Jacksonville Icemen have released Jacob Panetta from their team, so he is uh, he's no longer on the team. Uh, Subban, the younger brother of the Devils defenseman and three-time NHL All-Star P.K. Subban, accused Panetta of making a monkey gesture following Saturday night's game. And um, Jacob actually posted this on Twitter. He, he posted this comment on Twitter at around 1030 on, um, on the night of the incident. He said, more like at jpanetta12, which is his Twitter handle, uh, was too much of a coward to fight me. And as soon as I began to turn my back, he started making monkey gestures at me. So I punched him in the face multiple times and he turtled like the coward he is, end quote. Now, P.K. Subban also had something to say. He, he posted a very long thing that I shared and a lot of people have seen. He said, quote, they don't call the East Coast League, ECHL, the jungle because my brother and the other black players are the monkeys. Hey, Jacob Panetta, you shouldn't be so quick to delete your Twitter or your Instagram account. You will probably be able to play again. That's what history says, but things are changing. Now, not just the hockey world knows your truth colors. Your hometown of Beville knows your family and friends know you're a fraud. With everything that has gone on in the past couple of years in the world, I'll say with all due respect to everyone who has an opinion, this isn't a mistake. We all know what's okay and what's not. Even your teammates wanted to see you get your clock cleaned. This happens a lot, and it never gets exposed in the lower leagues. One thing that I love about this Jordan's teammates standing in there and showing support. Love that. Now, it also says here, the gesture towards Jordan Subban comes just days after San Jose Barracuda forward Christoph Robic was suspended 30 games by the American Hockey League for a race, racist gesture towards Tuscan Roadrunners forward Boko Imama, who is also black. So what's really upsetting about this is that these two incidents happened within a week of each other. And this also happened around the time that Willie O'Ree's number was retired. Willie O'Ree being the first player to ever play in the National Hockey League. It's a black man. First black player to ever play. The Jackie Robinson of the NHL, basically. And then these things happen. And also, we had Pride Night in New Jersey, which supports the LGBTQ community. But also, there are people of color especially in the black community that are also part of the LGBTQ community. And those 
And, and those people are the ones that end up unfortunately getting ridiculed and criticized and abused more than any other race when it comes to the LGBTQ community. Um, it's th this whole thing was just a huge tidal wave of so many different things. Um, and there was a question as to was PK Subban going to speak about this to the media? Like he spoke about it on social media, but was he going to talk about it um, when it came to the media? Well, he actually did. He actually did. And I want to read to you some of the things that he ended up saying um, that the Devils actually shared. And I give the Devils a lot of credit. They showed a lot of support to Subban and his family. Um, we saw that the NHL also had a couple words to say about it as well. Um, but P.K. Subban, here's some of the quotes that he, he said um, when he spoke to the media. And also the Devils posted it on their social media accounts. So you, can guys, you guys can go see the full um, video of him talking to the media. Uh, one thing he said is, this is life, and that's what's sad. This, this is life for people who, like me, who have played hockey. Um, he also said, the unfortunate thing isn't uh, the for yeah right the unfortunate thing isn't just the incident it's how many kids deal with this every day and it doesn't come to light so that's what some, those were some other things he also said i didn't sleep much sheer disappointment it's distasteful there is no room for it in our game i'm embarrassed because our game is better than this i'd rather people focus on how we can change it and make it better so the next kid that looks like pk suban or jordan suban doesn't have to go through this and you could see when you watch the video and you could see, you know, P.K. Subban talking about it, you can really see how upset he was. He said he didn't go to bed till about 5 a.m. Um, on Sunday, uh, you know, because he was so upset about what had happened. He spoke about it with his family. A lot of people have reached out to him and his brother um, during this time. Uh, it's, it's really ridiculous that we are in 2022 and these these horrible acts continue to happen. And Subban is absolutely right because there's a lot of these, these are, there's a lot of these horrific acts that happen that don't get talked about or not put in light because these are not professional athletes or things like that. They're for every one of these that you've seen, you know, there's, and I talked about this when we talked about Reed Boucher as well. For every one of these you see with someone like Jordan Subban getting abused and having monkey, you know, gestures being uh, shown at him, there's many others that are out there that we will never know about because they're not put into light. And it's really, really upsetting to me. And I speak as somebody who is white, who is straight. I straight up, I mean, I'm, I'm calling it like it is. I have more privilege than most people, but I don't try... I, it's not that I don't try. Let's put it this way. Let me clarify what I'm trying to say. I understand the privilege that I have. And I try to use that privilege to spread awareness for and, and to stick up for people of the LGBT, LGBTQ community, uh, for people of color who get abused. I mean, I have friends and family friends that are part of these communities that talk about the abuse that they suffer on a day-to-day -day basis and people staring at them and people saying horrific things. And it doesn't just happen in sports. It happens in everyday life. That's the problem. It just, it, it's not just the one area and we need to, and we could just focus on it. No, it's in every single part of this world 
And it's not just in this country. It's not just in this continent. It's all over the world that this, that this stuff happens and it continues to happen. And it's incredibly, incredibly upsetting. It is. And also here's another interesting thing. Martin Luther King Day was just this past week, and th- and all this thing and all these things happened. I mean, it was just a whole huge tidal wave of different things that just happened around these very interesting times, and that's kind of the craziness with it all. And so, seeing PK Subban talk about his brother, I mean, first of all, that's his brother being bullied, being harassed, being you know insulted for being black. I mean, it, you got to call it like it is, and. I'm sure that that was hard enough, but Subban, he, he explained it. Look, this happens all the time, especially if you're playing a sport like this. It happens all the time. You know, I've seen so many different incidents of this, and it's really horrible. And what really blows my mind is that there are people out there that legitimately believe that based that because that they are white and because and they look at somebody who's of a different skin color or even of a different sex or different religion and they think that they are just above them it's amazing to me that even now with so much information and so much more awareness being pushed that this happens and it's unfortunate and it's and it just shows you that there's still so much work to be done and i know that people like to look at it and say oh well what can one person do well there's a lot of things you can do because at the end of the day, all you have is your personal integrity. Like you know what you're about. And one person by just being more aware, being respectful and treating every single person the same way, you know, and treating them like a human being instead of, you know, based off of the color of their skin or their sex or their religion or whatever, treating them like a human being goes a long way. It goes a long way because then you just become one less person that's part of the problem. And the more people that do that, the less in, the less horrific acts like this happen. And it's not going to take just one person. It takes all of us. It takes all of us. So I sit here as a full supporter of P.K. Subban, of Jordan Subban, entire family, and any person, not just professional athletes, any person person on this planet that has been that has had to subject themselves to these horrific acts in many different horrible twisted fucked up ways i i'm absolutely appalled that these things happen and it's so unfortunate that it happens in our world even today and it really does um the other thing that uh, i did find out by the way um was that a couple of hours uh prior to pk suban talking um, the player whose name, um, yeah, Jacob Panetta actually posted a video on his social talking about the incident and saying that, quote, um, he said, number one, that the monkey gesture was not that, you know, he does it all the time to act tough. And that apparently Panetta tried to speak to Subban after the game. And, um, you know, Jacob said he thanked the um What's it called? He thanked his team uh, for the opportunity to play professional hockey. And then he was going to go out and try to speak to Subban and the family and, uh, you know, try to clear the air, so to speak. And, you know, the thing that upsets me about these things is that if you got to do that, it kind of doesn't that kind of just make you more guilty. I mean, that, that's just the way that I look at it. And it's hard for me to buy that because it's like we've seen so many 
situations like this, but yet it keeps happening. And people say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They're sorry because they got caught. They're sorry because they got exposed. And whether or not you, you know, you say, oh, I'm not a racist. Well, unfortunately, if you do something like that, you say something like that, I mean, that puts you right in the category, doesn't it? I mean, at the end of the day, it's completely unacceptable. And I just... I wish that we lived in a world where we don't have to talk about these things because these things aren't happening. And I'm being like in a positive way that people are just being treated as human beings, not as something that you think is below you because they are a different skin color or a different sex or a different, it's, this shit has to stop. This shit has to stop. It has no place in hockey. It has no place in sports. It has no place in households. It has no place in schools. It has no place in workplaces. It has no place in this world. And we are improving. And in many cases, we are better than where we were even 100 years ago. But there is still so much work left to be done. And I shared this on social media that I promised that I'm going to do whatever I possibly can to show my support, to do what I, to do the right thing, to treat people as human beings and to stick up for people when they are abused like this. And when I say abused, I'm not talking about physically abused all the time. I'm talking about mentally abused, emotionally abused, so many different ways, having their character be called out based off of the color of their skin and things like that. You got to stick up for people like that, because if you have people, even especially white people who are sticking up for people in the LGBTQ community for, you know, sticking up for black people and, and people of different colors and different backgrounds, they're stepping up and defending these people. It just goes a long way. That's the way that I'm looking at it. I hope that I've been as clear as I possibly can, because at the end of the day, I am on the side of treating everybody like a human being. And I know that unfortunately, in many ways, that's just not the case. But I just hope that I can do whatever I possibly can to make a difference in people's lives by just treating them like human beings, because that's what at the end of the day, we all just want to be. We want to be treated as equals. We want to be treated fairly as as people. And unfortunately, people of the Black community, people of the Hispanic community, the people of the LGBTQ community, the people of, you know, the Jewish community, even the Catholic community, the Christian community, same thing, but different religions. There's so many people out there that have unfortunately been um, treated so poorly based off of who they are as a person. And we try to point this out so much, but it's very true that, you know, you need to be yourself. And it's unfortunate we have so many people that don't want you to be yourself because of situa- of certain things that may, that are usually not, they're usually out of your control. But at the end of the day, you are you. And if you have privilege, then you need to use your privilege to make this world better so that everybody continues, well, that more people are treated equally because we all are equals. We are, we are all allies here. That's where, there it is. So it's a very, very unfortunate situation that this type of shit happened. And I'm, I'm hoping that more of these things get brought to light and they get shut down before they even get out of control or they even happen, period. And more people continue, more people just get treated as normal people. 
that's what I'm hoping for. Just get treated as people in general because we're all human beings at the end of the day. And that's the big thing here. So I just want to leave it at that. Um, I hope that I was able to make my message clear and I am 100% behind Jordan Subban. I'm 100% behind the Subban family, people of the black community, people of the LGBTQ community, people, people. I'm behind people. I'm behind people who want to do the right thing, who want to be good, who want to make the world a better place. We talk about making the world a better place all the time. Things like this, you know, standing up for what's right, standing up for people when they can't stand up for themselves. That's what it's about doing the right thing and just treating people the right way and treating them like a human being.